I mean, it was one of the better Super Bowls played in a long time. I mean, it did come down to the wire. But my question is, if you have the number one running back in the league and the game is on the line, you're at the one-yard line, why do you choose a pass play? I mean, what kind of offensive coordinator worth the salt is going to allow that to happen? I mean, that's the reason the Seahawks did not repeat. I'm scrolling... Scrolling. What movie are we talking about? I'm just saying, you have Marshawn Lynch, you use Marshawn Lynch. It's a bad call, and I'm not sure Pete Carroll's going to survive it. Marshawn Lynch, Pete Carroll. No, none of that stuff is popping up. Not on uh, IMDb either. Brian, are you sure you know what show you're on today? What day is it? Oh, uh, crap. It is uh, the official day that the government has renamed Digital Noise Recording Day. Oh, okay. Digital noise. Hold on. Let me switch my notes. No, these are all still about football. Uh, let me ma- see if I can make this clear for you. Uh, beer? Yes, beer. There we go. Everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Digital Noise here on OneOfUs.net. We're so happy to be here. We are, because we force each other to be yes. happy and here. You know, it's funny, uh, in regards to our intro, I'm just going to say real quick, I, as you know, I don't know a lot about sports, which isn't just to disparage it in any way, I just don't know a lot about it. But when anyone says football, it sends me hurtling back in time to... A, a stand-up comedian, I don't even know who they are anymore. I saw when I was like 13 years old on a cable station in front of a brick wall. Yeah. Going like, I play football on the football field with the football. And I don't know why. It just That's the first thing that goes in my head. <laughs> I see it perfectly. <laughs> I have no idea what the joke was or anything. And now on the couch for digital noise therapy is Chris. Let's <laughs> and, see if we can psychoanalyze this shit. And then my mother hated me. Ah. Uh. See? Yeah. But then you, I slept with her, so it was all right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. At least you scored. Um, <laughs> so this is our, believe it or not, our Blu-ray and DVD review show. Yes! <laughs> where we tell you exactly which blues you should pick up and which you should leave on the store shelf. Yeah. Or on the Amazon, whatever the digital equivalent of a shelf is. Warehouse, I guess. Now, Brian, a couple of these are going to look like long shot Hail Mary plays. But I got to tell you, in the end, you're going to get a couple completions here that are going to surprise you, I think, in the end zone. No, I think we're you're, you're going a good box set. I mean, that's because some of the movies aren't as, aren't as good as, as, as some of the other. You know who has great DVD collections? Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Bridges is here? Yeah. <laughs> John Madden. Oh my god, Jeff Bridges as John Madden. That would be amazing. Let's make that happen. Well, first. I think what you're missing here <laughs> is that there's a lot of good sports movies that we haven't even discussed. Edwin? What are you doing in the sports booth? Get out of here. You love to laugh. Anyway, I'm Brian. I'm Chris. <laughs> Edwin, Jeff Bridges, and John Madden joining us for some reason. And, uh, I was going with, uh, what's his name, Harry Carey or whatever his name is? Oh, Harry Carey, yeah. 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 Just leave a thing about football. I it's think- not even the sport I commentate. <laughs> I think I was doing Will Ferrell's <laughs> yeah. Carey, really. That, that's the old, it's, it's like everyone who does Christopher Walken is really just doing Kevin Pollock's Christopher Walken. That's or, true. actually, no, Shatner. They're doing his Shatner. They're not doing real Shatner. Uh, yeah, everybody is just doing Will Ferrell's Harry Carey. And I'm okay with that. Of an Impression. It's an impression of an impression. And to be fair, that is my only touchstone with Harry Gary, so there you go. It's impressception. That's what it is. 
Anyway, hey, this show can be found on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. You can also like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. You can also get us on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. I uh, really want to encourage you guys to become subscribers to oneofus.net. We now have two subscriber-exclusive shows that are running regularly. One is, of course, The Breakfast Pub, our news and trailer show that we do every week for all levels of subscription. And then, of course, The Original Gentleman is back as a uh, premium $5 and up-level subscriber show. Uh, I know you guys are about to record the new one, which is really exciting. Yeah, we're doing a best of 2014 show that you guys have been waiting for with a, a returning guest that you haven't heard since the old days. Ooh, that should be fun. So definitely jump on. And we've had a lot of people, uh, a lot of new subscribers lately. I want to thank you guys for that. That's really awesome. It allows us to keep doing this. And also, um, really want to make a push. If you guys like what we're doing, if you like articles we put out, podcast reviews, upload it to Reddit. Become a Reddit user and upload that stuff because it's just it's a it's a very organic way to to get traffic and we're not going to post it ourselves obviously because that's not what Reddit's about. But if you guys like it, if there's something particular that strikes your fancy, feel free to upload that to Reddit. We really do appreciate that. And I can't tell you how much that place is just a farm of get for getting hits. It's like a corporate farm where all the hits are like chickens clustered in, not a, eating their own poop. <laughs> Reddit eats its own poop, says Chris Cox. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I got distracted by posts I've seen on Reddit for a second about chicken farms. I don't There's, know. <laughs> there you go. And full circle, everybody. Well done. And, yeah, so we are actually going to do the letterbox at the end of the show, and hopefully we'll have a few more questions. I got posted kind of late, so hopefully we'll get a few more questions dropped in there before the end of the show. So we're just going to dive right into the review. And once again, reminding you that everything we talk about will have an Amazon link here on the page on oneofus.net. If you click on that link to get to Amazon, anything you buy benefits us. As long as you got the Amazon VR link, you can buy whatever you want. So please, please do that. We really do appreciate it. And we're going to start this week with a little film called The Judge. Here come 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 the judge. Here and now there goes the judge. Here come Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it wasn't great, so I kind of wanted to go. Here go the judge. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna give our ver- verdict on this anyway. Um, you know, this is a movie made by a supercomputer that had all the Oscar-winning films ever made fed into it, and it with certain criteria. No, we're not. We don't want anything with the Holocaust. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, and uh, crunched out this film taking all these pieces that have worked as part of other Oscar-winning films and crunching them together into one film only to prove that, indeed, we still don't have intelligent AI out there. Because what you get is a relatively heartless film that simulates humanity more than it actually feels like it has it. I now know why you cry. (laughs) <laughs> says the it's kind of like the awesome 5000 for oscar movies it's the, the oscar mo 5000 is there's nothing about this film that in and of itself like you can't take a piece out of it and go oh i hated that part it's not like that sort of thing it's just that the sum is not greater than the parts you know those little uh those little plastic pieces on the ends of your shoelaces you yeah. don't hate those things, there's right? There's a name for those that I don't know. Yeah, there's probably a Sniglet for it too, but I I don't I don't know what the Sniglet is. Sure. Um, Thank you, Rich Little. Rich Little, I know. Re- reaching back for all the kids, <laughs> making Rich Little references. Um, those things, you can't hate them. They're just there. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. It's it's there. I don't hate it. I'm not like angry about it. I just am like, eh. 
You yeah, exist. At best, you're annoyed that it's so blatantly trying to make a push for Oscars that it's saccharine in and of itself in that way. Yeah. That it's like comes to your doorstop begging for consideration. There, there are two points in this movie where I feel like they... They go so formulaic that it actually ends up being a little too extreme. Yeah. Uh, just to give the backstory of this film, Robert Downey Jr. plays a hotshot defense uh, attorney who is one of those guys that can get anybody off for the right price. He's, yeah. You know, he's a lawyer. He's he's a lawyer with a lot of gray area. He's Robert Downey Jr., yeah. basically. He's yeah. Tony Stark. He's, As a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. So he gets word that his mother has passed away, so he goes home. Uh, he's working in Chicago. He goes home to his hometown in Indiana, which is unfortunately where I am from as well, and has to deal with his father. They've, they've had a falling out when he was younger. They've never really gotten along. And the dad is the local judge in this town. And so they're, they're dealing with the mom being dead. And you think that's going to be the big drama. And then, oh, no, here comes this other thing where dad is suddenly arrested for something. And that's I guess I'll just leave it at that without giving too much away. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of elements here, like we said, that are just all too familiar. You've got the whole... You know, estranged family coming together. You've got the father-son uh, estrangement story in particular. And the God, I hate this small town I came from gotta dynamic. Get, yeah, God, I hate this small town I came from. Uh, brother with learning with disability story. You know, uh, the girl who may or may not have had the protagonist child a long time ago, and he's only now finding out. Point one of the extremity. I guess I won't say exactly what happens, because I don't want to spoil it. But there's... Robert Downey Jr. makes out with somebody, and then there's a revelation about that person later that just makes you go, Ew, why? You know, but if it was on Game of Thrones, it wouldn't phase you for a second. No, it does phase me. <laughs> it does phase me there, too. I'd be like, ooh, this is hot. But okay. <laughs> That's all you, man. That's, not, that's all you. something about if it happens with swords and dragons, it's not so bad. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And then the other part is I think Robert Duvall may have gotten an Oscar nomination this year because it's like, all right, if somebody, if you shit your pants on screen, I think, you know, and you're that old and you're that established and respected, we kind of have to nominate you for an Oscar. And that's the thing about that scene. There's a scene in particular where, yeah, I mean, he's, like, stubborn. He doesn't want to admit that he's failing. He's He himself has a sickness. And there's a scene that's really graphic with him booping himself and them cleaning him off that, like, in a film that was more focused about this story would have maybe felt a little more normal, but in this film, which is very much a, a pop, wide, audience-reaching type of feel-good fantasy thing, yeah. it doesn't belong at all. No, it absolutely It sticks not. out like a sore, sore thumb. Yeah. Even though there's nothing inherently wrong with the scene, it's just in the context of the rest of the film, you're like, why is this here? It's just, and then, like, the very next moment is so cutesy, you're like, yeah, but I just watched you clean shit off of Robert Duvall. What the fuck is happening right now? And, you know, which isn't to, like, criticize Robert Duvall's performance. He's wonderful in this, like he always is. He's one of our great actors. Uh, Vera Farmiga is the, the girl from long ago who reappears in Robert Downey Jr.'s life, who's always good, always love her. Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, b- clearly bulking up for his role in Kingpin coming up, yeah. uh, plays is the the not uh, mentally disabled brother who is has a seems to be kind of the peacemaker type role in yeah. the family. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton's in this. Sarah Lancaster, David Crumholtz. It's a Leighton Messer, Dax Shepard. Strangely enough, it's got a good cast. It's got all the right elements, and it just never really clicks. There is only one scene, or, or I guess one location that they shot that was actually in Indiana. And I don't normally do this. But I'm going to call bullshit on the rest of this movie because it's like, oh, it's a small town in Indiana. I'm like, look at that beautiful rushing river. 
Okay, look at all of this, this like idyllic, obviously not Midwestern scenery. I'm just like, guys, no, 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 no. This is not Indiana. <laughs> right. Plus, look, they've got electric wires up. They have working telephones. Uh, there. Uh, 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 not, uh, uh, the family isn't all married to each other. Really? What state are you from again? <laughs> Virginia, not uh-huh. West Virginia. Oh no, no, that's much better. No, we're the we're the West Virginia that got civilized and doesn't do that. Sort There's of an imaginary well. line that keeps that away from you. There's a reason they don't call it East. Virginia. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, this has an audio commentary with the director, uh, a 22-minute featurette inside the judge with the actors. Uh, there's a, for some reason, getting deep with Dak Shepard, with Dak Shepard interviewing Robert Downey Jr., Vincent D'Onofrio, and Billy Bob Thornton. I'm already... I don't need any more so, Dak Shepard. The thing is, he really is a nice guy in real life. I liked him a lot when I met him. I was like, this is a really sweet, nice, smart guy. But, oh, my God, his shtick gets old so fast. It really does. Uh, and then 18 minutes of deleted scenes, nearly uh, 20 of them, uh, most of which are pretty redundant. I will say there's a joke in the movie about Dak Shepard. Robert Downey Jr. doesn't like him because he got his, his law degree at Valparaiso. <laughs> I had friends who went to Valparaiso. <laughs> it's it's a perfectly passable institution. <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable, like a McDonald's cheeseburger. Yeah, it's the McDonald's cheeseburgers of colleges. <laughs> I don't see what the problem is. You know, it'll do in a pinch. Hell yeah, it will. And they're open late. The college, I mean. Maybe they're not. I don't know. The point is, cheeseburger. What were we talking about? Uh, ironically, I never knew a, law- a lawyer from Indiana who could pass a bar. Hey-o! <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Antique jokes. Uh, we're gonna... <laughs> we're... Yes, but they're worth more now. <laughs> <laughs> worth more they're now. They're collectible. Just don't strip the varnish on it. Um, we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about... I don't well, know why... We're going to get to next. Come on. We're going to talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie. No, we're going to talk about Ouija. I wish we were talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Instead, we're going to talk about Ouija. Confession. Never seen the Super Mario Brothers movie. It looked terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. It's terrible, but it's so much fun. I just didn't really see a good reason to actually sit through that. No. So. Well, Dennis Hopper as uh, King Koopa, ordering a pizza throughout the entire movie... Worth the price of admission okay, alone. But we're not talking about that. We're Why not? The at least plausibly even worse new Blumhouse Productions film Ouija, which is of course about the Ouija board or the witch board. If you're a uh, '80s uh, '90s horror film that doesn't have the rights from Parker Brothers to get the name, and that's the um, thing is there have been scores and scores and scores of horror movies that have touched on the Ouija board as the the gateway to an evil dimension or the entry point for some kind of evil entity. In fact, this isn't even the first Blumhouse production that has explored that. The very first paranormal activity played with that, if you remember. True. Also, the whole Witchboard series, there's a Mexican uh, kind of Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff called Don't Panic that's all about that. There's a movie called The Oracle that slightly changes it from a from like a like what do they call the stone or whatever that moves around the to planchette. like the planchette it changes the planchette to like a little hand with a quill but it's like it's been done over and over and over again and, why and the Ouija board is the source of like when you're growing up I mean this thing's been around since the 60s or 50s maybe even I'm not even sure and much longer than that if you count pre Parker Brothers made ones I mean it's a very old spiritualist technique basically and so with it comes an endless amount of urban legends and ghost stories and everything i mean there's a i grew up hearing tales of this being told this really happened around no it did I, I know a guy who knows a guy it happened to <laughs> exactly and so there's a pre-built-in creepiness with the board that i'm still startled with the 
you know, the so much of a religious dominance in this country that pretty much every Walmart in the in the world <laughs> still manages to sell. But this managed to take the ingrained scariness of this board and sap every bit of it out of it because there is nothing scary going on inside of Ouija. No, it, and this movie is is so bland about it. It's like they recognize everybody already knows what a Ouija is, so they're like, we're just not going to try to do anything new with it. We are so slavish to the idea that it needs to have brand recognition that we're not going to really divert at all. And instead, we're basically going to repackage The Conjuring and just use a Ouija board to talk to the ghost from The Conjuring. Yeah, uh, but nowhere near as good as The Conjuring, no, to be no, clear. No, no. And it, you know, it starts with the, the, like these things do, two girls playing with a board, and uh, and then one of them ends up like playing with it by herself, and something freaky happens, and uh, she ends up killing herself, or at least is found, you know, hung. Yeah. Uh, and so, end up with the friends afterwards. This is horrible. Why would she do that? She would never do that. Uh, start, uh, uh, you know what? There's no point in going too much into this. The idea being is that th- this, there's this nasty spirit around connected with the board and now it wants to kill them all. Yeah. So the and, board is, is evil. And it's following the, like, all right. So when the ring did this, it did it well, it mm-hmm. did it really well, which is to say ghosty thing connected to some solid thing in our world starts killing people once you've touched this thing or connected to it in some way there's no getting out of it it's gonna get you so people in question start trying to be uh solve a mystery historical mystery and put the facts together in order to try and find some way out of this thing a loophole out of this situation they find themselves in before they all get picked off which is happening along the way it's the ring formula it's worked for other movies it's here, it is just plugging stuff into a formula and doing nothing inventive at all. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget, invariably, we now we know what, what it is we have to do. Shit, that didn't work, because there's a final twist coming. Yeah. It's it's all that with cheap CG and uh, just, like, like, scares that are so telegraphed that even in the 80s, they would have been like, okay, come on, you can try harder than that. Uh, it does that whole, like, oh, it's really just the boyfriend having come in from outside. Like, I hate, I hate fake-out scares more than jump scares, honestly. Like... If it's a legit jump scare where there's actually a ghost when you turn around, it's a little annoying, but fine. When you turn around, when you shut the fridge door and it's one of your friends standing there, or it's like a cat runs by, I fucking hate those. Like those are the laziest to me because it's like, Haha, we don't know, <laughs> just cause. Well, now they've got the meta ones where they, you know, like horror filmmakers are so self-aware now that like you know every time you're in a bathroom and there's a mirror that opens, mm-hmm. like the the what you expect is they close it and there's going to be something there. Yeah. So now they play with that. So like, okay, you expect that and it's not there, but oh, now it comes from uh, behind the bathroom or some the shower curtain or something, you know. It's like, oh, there's no scare where you thought it was going to be. Wait, oh, are you relieved? Okay, there's no scare. Oh, there's a scare! Like, <laughs> come on, man. We see that, too. You know what? No more scares in bathrooms is nope. what I'm saying. I nope. think you've you... pretty much ruined the bathroom. No, no, no. We're going to call a moratorium on that. Yeah, you shit the bathroom. You shit. <laughs> you have shit the bathroom. Uh, uh, but this comes with a few extras. Nothing really notable. Four minutes on a history of the Ouija board, which is not probably terribly accurate. Uh, adapting the fear and EBK looks at the cast and filmmakers. Uh, and then four minutes on... Uh, the, Icon of the Unknown, which is just another EPK featurette. Which, after a year, this movie will be unknown. Yeah, I think part of the problem. This movie's going to sink into complete obscurity as well it should, even though it made six times its budget back in theaters, which wasn't very much to begin with. I was going to say, because if you look at the cast, it was real easy for this movie to make that much money, because there's 
There's not one. There's no one even remotely known in the entire. This well, is the new, th- except for Lin Shay, because again, they just repackaged the Conjuring. Well, Olivia Cook is in this. Who's like the show? Uh, um, Bates Motel has actually been become very popular, and she's one of the leads on that. And she's very good on that. And she, they gave her the lead here, but she's nowhere near a big enough of a star to be like a film carrying. No, this is just one of those calculated to get the right people in seats. For who are, when there's a nice uh, open niche space for a horror film, and that's exactly what it did. I mean, horror movies more often than not, if they get a theatrical release, tend to make their money back because they can mm-hmm. make them cheap. Yeah. This is why the Paranormal Activity films are such monster successes. Yeah, you know, they make them for nothing, and everybody goes to fucking see them. Every redneck in your town has seen all five Paranormal Activity. Well, and us, and us. Well, that's because yeah. we're film critics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have too. But you know, what? I feel like if the judge was was created by a robot, Robot who is specifically trying to replicate human emotion. Yeah, this is made by a robot who thinks it understands horror, and it's like this is what audiences want to see with scary movies. And it's like, no, totally wrong. Remember when everything Jason Blumhouse was putting out was actually at least not bad? Do you think his name is Blumhouse? His name is just Blum. Is it the company's called Blumhouse? Sorry, oh no, I was like, no, I'm like, I don't. You, I can't figure it's out if like you're named in Blumhouse. I'm a call him Blumhouse. I can't figure out if you're <laughs> fucking with me or if you really think his name is Blumhouse. I'm just talking fast and <laughs> confused. <laughs> like, wait, hey, okay, no, uh, his name is now Jason Blumhouse. Jason uh, Blumhouse. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a name, right? <laughs> it does. It does. That's why Tom Cruise, because of his production company, is now Tom Skydance. So. <laughs> That's that's just the way it works. Uh, we're gonna move on from. I didn't even know that was Tom Cruise's production. It is. You learn something new every day. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna talk about before I go to sleep, and before I say too much about this, I should tell you I haven't seen it. So, Chris, take it away. Really, this is one of the ones I would have expected you would have gone to because it is a, you know, a bigger commercial film that for whatever reason did not get much distribution in America. No. But it has uh, it has recognizable talent in it for sure. Well, it has big name talent in yeah. it. You've got Colin Firth and Nicole Kidman here leading your film that is a not slow at all slow burn thriller. Uh, it's something that I'm compared to the last two movies we just talked about. I find it even more startling that this was not chosen for a bigger. Uh, uh, release. It's based on a popular novel by S.J. Watson that came out in 2011. And uh, the story here is basically that Nicole Kidman is... She's got that memento thing. You know? Oh, okay. Sh- like, short... Uh, inability to retain short-term memory kind of thing? Yeah, and for her, it happens every time uh, she goes to sleep. Like, she, she doesn't keep dropping off. It's just once she's gone to sleep, she's going to... Uh, She's going to wake up with going all the way back to like when she was in her 20s. Gotcha. And her husband, Colin Firth, has set up like a whole wall of pictures. Hey, this is us on our wedding. I'm your husband. All these things. And it's for like, you know, two decades pretty much has been saying, okay, here's what it is. Don't be scared. I have to. Here's all the stuff. I have a whole like a, a board in the kitchen with all where everything is that you, you might need. Uh, I got to go to work. You can call me if you need anything. Okay. Pretty freaky. You know, for anyone to go through, but seems innocuous enough. Uh, Only that shortly after he leaves, she gets a phone call 
uh, uh, from, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Strong, sorry. Which, you know, he couldn't possibly be nefarious. No, he's Mark <laughs> Strong. When has he ever been a bad guy? And he says he's Dr. Nash, a neurologist who uh, met her at some point after all this and believes that there actually is help for her, but Ben, her husband, doesn't want her to talk to anybody else at this point, which is weird in and of itself, and that he had gave her a camera that she's hidden in the house where she's been recording important stuff that she's, she wants to record to let herself know. And she starts realizing something's wrong with this whole story. Something is not how it seems. Like, apparently she had a son at some point that died. Mm-hmm. Okay, why wouldn't her husband tell her that? Or also, she has a best friend she's been friends with since she was in you know grade school who she hasn't seen pretty much since the accident. Well, why? What happened to her? And various things like that. And it... It turns into this like mystery where every day she's learning, going back with what she recorded at the end of the day on the camera, what discoveries she's made, and then going out and learning more about this mystery. Okay, it's actually pretty involving on that level. Like this is this is a difficult way to be a detective, to be sure. Sure. Um, I guess at its worst, there's some stuff that's kind of hard to swallow in the third act. You're like, yeah, okay, now you're really pushing credibility here, plausibility here. Not so much that it completely throws the whole thing out the window, but enough that I think it kept this from being a first-rate thriller. Okay. Uh, I did really enjoy this overall. I think both uh, the the leads in this are really terrific in it. I think the mystery is interesting. I mean, certainly this is nowhere near as good a film as Memento, because there's not a lot of artfulness to this film. And when it tries to do it doesn't really work it just feels like cheap flashback sequences hmm. uh, and that's not the problem in the last act she suddenly starts they they solve some of the problems by have her inexplicably starting to to remember stuff randomly when it seems to so it's, it's convenient for the plot so it's like it's not following its own rules it's just kind of yeah, like why would this happen now uh, if not for just convenience sake, yeah and you know. i you know i don't know it's uh, it like i said it doesn't wrap up as nicely as you'd hope but overall i thought this is still strong enough to be worth your time to check out. Like I said, such great actors in this thing. Um, and it, it is, it's fun. It moves quickly. There's a couple brief, really brief EPKs on this, but that's about it for bonus features. I still do overall more than not recommend this as a yeah, nice little diversion thriller. Fair enough. Yep. Well, moving on from there, we're going to talk about the book of life, which I actually hadn't seen until, uh, prepping for this show, and I really enjoyed. Yeah, The Book of Life, uh, well, I guess that we shouldn't have been surprised, because even though it didn't perform terribly well in theaters, uh, critics were all over this thing, Mm -hmm. calling it, you know, really beautiful, really original. Um, You know, it certainly doesn't look like anything else we've seen before. No, and I like it when there is a clear, visible concept to the the form of animation that a movie chooses. Uh, And in this case, since this is a story that revolves around uh, the, the the Mexican tradition of the Day of the Dead, and the Day of the Dead has uh, you've, I've seen these all over the place. These Day of the Dead sort of intricately carved figures. Yes, uh, and there's a very specific signature design to like the skeleton bands that you see carved out of wood for Day of the Dead. They tried to make the characters in this look like those figures, and what I find most interesting about that is there's three distinctive styles, uh, visual styles playing out here. I mean, at the very beginning of the movie. We see a group of, of students getting uh, to a museum, and this kind of mystical tour guide lady takes them into like a, a secret part of the museum and starts to tell them the story that revolves around uh, the Mexican Day of the Dead. 
And then when we go from her telling the story into the story, they are all the characters look like they're carved out of wood. Like it's, yeah, with it's the still, grain and, yeah. and like the the, the way it is when you're like manually carving stuff out of wood in a yeah. very Mexican old fashioned Day of the Dead sort of way. Right, but they they don't. Uh, so you have that going on, and then when you actually go to the uh, the land of the remembered, which is kind of the, their their land of the dead. Those figures are similarly structured, but they're like they're intricately designed in the face, and they have these sort of patterns on their face, very much like the skeleton dolls uh, yeah. that I mentioned before. So there's three distinctive styles, yes, and they're they're just kind of going back and forth between all of them. And I thought it was really spectacular. And at its heart, this is a you know love triangle uh, between Diego Luna as Manolo, Manolo Sanchez, who is a he, he's supposed to be a toreador. But because that's what his whole family's always done, but he just wants to play the guitar. Mm. The oldest story there is. Uh, Channing Tatum is Joaquin Moon Mon- Mondragon, who is a guy. He's his best friend, but he went the military route. He's yeah. like, I'm going to be a great hero to this town. And they're both in love with Maria Posada, voiced by Zoe Saldana, who is uh, sent off when she's young to a. Like, you know, religious school, basically, a nunnery or what have you, only to come back as a complete hottie and have these two adults start tripping over their tongues trying to impress her. Yeah. And I like that they build into uh, the character voiced by Channing Tatum that he loves his mustache. Like, he's yeah. always talking about what an... Like, oh, uh, really? That guy wants to marry you? Does he have an amazing mustache? <laughs> he's just all about his... And that, that kind of stumbly, self-effacing Channing Tatum charm from uh, 21 Jump Street is evident in this character when he does that. Although they missed an opportunity not having Tom Selleck voice the role. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. If it's going to be that much about the mustache, come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked the way that the world of the supernatural is so firmly ingrained in the culture of the people that yeah. it's not really surprising when supernatural stuff happens. I mean, in fact, the gods of the underworld and of... Uh, well, the underworld is the land of the forgotten. So yeah. people who don't have anybody left alive remembers them. And then the the, the heaven-ish is the land of the remembered, which yeah. is where everything looks like a, you know, a big Mexican party all the time, except more psychedelic. Yeah, and it's very, a psychedelic fiesta. Very rollercoaster. <laughs> Very roller coastery. I would love to go to that theme park. It looks I wish cool. they had. I wish they would revamp the Mexico ride at Epcot to, to be like that. To just be this, because even though that would be branding with a movie, it's not a Disney movie. I realize, but even though that would be branding with a movie, it would still very much fit. Yeah, you know, with the with the culture, which is what the ride's all about, and. I'll be honest, I enjoy the Mexico ride, but those videos are starting to feel pretty dated. <laughs> True. It's like people on vacation in Acapulco in the 60s doing cliff diving. It's like, no, no, uh, no. no. They're smoking on the airplane to get there. Like, this is an old video. Uh, Kate Del, Del Castillo plays La Muerte, the ruler of the land of the remembered uh, heaven, and she's actually married to Ron Perlman's Zabalba, the ruler of the land of the forgotten. And they, you know, they're married, but they're kind of, rather than always cheating on her type of scenario, it's the same thing, except he's always kind of coming up with little schemes. And yeah, stuff. They, they make wagers with each other all yeah. the time. And so the whole thing, the whole movie's plot revolves around a wager between them of who is going to end up with the girl, right. the two friends. And the bet being ultimately that if she loses, he gets to rule both kingdoms. If, uh, if she wins, he doesn't get to interfere with humans anymore. The problem is he just can't help himself. No, I just like doing it. I'm Ron Perlman. You know, I, I think there's a lot of really good stuff in this movie. I think it's a beautiful looking movie. The sense of design is gorgeous and, and movement. Uh, the, 
I, I think at its worst, it falls back on some really over-familiar cliches at points. In the storytelling, I'll agree with you, although I do think it, it gets pretty clever in its uh, humor construction. Like, there were a lot of jokes that I found myself laughing out loud at. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was impressed with that. But I, I'll give you that. In the actual story, the plot A to, a to Z, yeah, there's a lot of cliche in there. But I think I think all that stuff is, is forgivable if you find a new way to present it. And visually, True. they have definitely done that. Oh, no question. Yeah, this is gorgeous. Highly recommended for people to check out. I mean, it got nominated for uh, a Golden Globe and uh, I believe an Oscar, too, didn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. But uh, a lot of extras in here. There's a little short, The Adventures of Chewy, which is a little short featuring the mascot of the film, this little pig. Uh, there's a couple different, you know, generic EPKs, of course, but there's a piece focused on the score, uh, which yeah, the score involves a lot of like redos in Spanish style of, of current pop songs, mm-hmm. including the Mumford and that one Mumford and Sons fucking song. <laughs> I will wait for you. Oh God. Now it's stuck in my head again. Ah, Thanks so much. <laughs> it was not nominated for an Oscar. That Man, is surprising. This and the Lego movie got snubbed, but song of the sea. Yeah. Totally got a nomination, whatever that is. But a lot of stuff in here, including a music video, uh, a karaoke type machine, what have you. It's you know a solid thing put together for kids. Like all these, look, the extras tend to be with these sort of animated features. I don't know, man. Solid purchase, good film. Definitely, definitely, highly recommended. Uh, moving on from there, uh, I'm going to let Chris talk about La Belle Captive. You know, okay, so I, this may not, may or may not come as a surprise, I don't really know if it, to most of you guys, but I'm a big fan of David Lynch. Not everything he's done, his last movie kind of sucked ass, but, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't care, I was listening to people try to defend, uh, uh, was it Inland Empire or something like that? Oh, okay. Uh, I was like, no. No, it's a mess. <laughs> this is like the guy filmed his subconscious and nobody wants to be there. Fair but enough. When he's at his best, he is the master of the abstract. La Belle Captive is a 1983 French avant garde horror mystery film directed by Alan Robe. I'm saying this wrong. Alan Robe Grillet, who is one of the people who was a big part of both the new novel movement in French, sort of a very modernist movement, and then later became a filmmaker filming several of his own books, including this, which is indeed an adaptation of his own book. Uh, It is one of those films that is abstract to the point that don't expect everything to make sense. (laughs) It's just not going to. It has that sort of David Lynch at his weirdest type of dream-like quality to it as we watch this guy... Um, meet this really incredibly beautiful girl in a bar, just just a knockout, uh, and get a call from his boss, who's another real total hottie, who rides around in leathers on a motorcycle everywhere, uh, saying, oh yeah, I need you to deliver this package, this letter to somebody, you need to go now. So he leaves to go there, but on the way, he stops his car to see a body in the road, and the body is the still-living but badly hurt woman from the bar. He puts it in her car, Along the way, finds a big mansion house, goes in there with her like, I need to call a doctor, only to find basically Eyes Wide Shut is going on in there. <laughs> and gets himself and her locked into a room by this group of weird rich people. <laughs> and then things get weird. <laughs> only rich people can afford to be this weird. Uh, as it looks like she's, like, maybe she's a ghost. 
Like, what? Like, that he finds her father, and she's like, she died like six years ago, dude. I don't know what to tell you. And lots of mysterious people. Everybody seems to have their own thing going on, their own take on this scenario. She keeps appearing to him, and keep, and then it seems like she's not really a ghost so much as a vampire, maybe, because he keeps getting bites on his, or his neck every time like uh, she appears to him. Really weird stuff, but really quite beautiful. Um, very ambient score, very 80s look to it. Uh, a lot of uh, starbursts on camera, if you will. But really, you know, it's not... It's not wildly highly thought of by the art house crowd who really like this director a lot. It's generally thought to be not one of his best films, but with some really inventive stuff in it nonetheless. But I liked this a lot more than most of those guys did. Mm. I, and maybe that's because directly I felt like there was such a David Lynch connection to it for me. Um, certainly Eyes Wide Shut was indeed heavily influenced by this, as apparently has been said that this was an influence for that film. Huh. Uh, thank God not the score. Yeah, not <laughs> dung, so bueno. <laughs> dung, dung, dung. Does one note count as a score? I'm not even sure. I don't know. It works for Giacchino sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it does. Especially so, in those really heartfelt moments. That Just, one note is dung. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's that's uh, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Giacchino oh, you're it's like right, you're whenever right. there's a heartfelt scene, Giacchino just like single piano keystroke. Mm. Ding, 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 that's true. Ding. That is true. He He's good at that. Anyway, I, I do recommend this to art film fans or people who like Lynch a lot. Um, I, it's just, like I said, to anybody else, don't expect a clear-cut anything that's just not that kind of film. Fair enough. Moving on to a film I should have seen a long time ago, especially with uh, as much as as much buzz as it's gotten here locally, and that is Starry Eyes, which is a, uh, a recent horror film. Uh, Chris... I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you feel about this. I'm trying to read your reaction right now. I loved the shit yeah? out of this. Film. Okay, cool. Totally loved it. Yeah, I, uh, I I definitely enjoyed it as well. This is all right. So what this film is saying is so obvious as to smash you in the face repeatedly with its message. <laughs> It, it makes no mistake early on that this is about... That Sorry, that's just very apropos, given what yeah, something that happens in this that movie. Hollywood changes you, that success changes you, that you have to sacrifice your integrity and your morals and your past life to become a, a star. Yeah. That's what this movie's about. It's far from the only movie that has dealt with this concept. However, few have done it quite so simply and quite so well as this effective, very bare little thriller following Sarah, played by soon to no longer be called a newcomer, I'm sure, because, wow, what a performance, Alex Esso, uh, who wants to be an actress. She's stuck working at basically a Hooters, a restaurant. <laughs> it's called uh, Big, Big Taters. Taters. <laughs> yeah, Big Taters. Uh, our friend Pat Healy plays Yay! her boss, who's like, look, it's L.A., okay? I know you want to audition, but you've still got to do your job. Sorry. Can't, this... take, can't take phone calls at work. Uh, her this... fr Her friends are a bunch of, like, Want to be actors and filmmakers as well who are supportive, but at the same time kind of undercutting. Oh, one of them, one of those chicks is not supportive at all. She, she's like outright backstabber. She is one of those passive aggressive to the nth degree. Like, oh, I love how you just wear anything, kind of people. Yeah, you know, I don't get to say this very often, but it was really weird watching the credits for this and being like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I know these people. Yeah, yeah, you know. You know what I mean? And it's, I didn't realize how many people worked on this that you know that I'm actually familiar with. Like for example, um, not only is Pat Healy in this, but Noah Segan, mm. uh, who is in a lot of uh, kind of the festival movies that we watch, and, and as well as Looper. And then it was produced by Travis Stevens, who is one of those guys that is always at Fantastic Fest, seemingly producing some of the coolest stuff. 
Uh, and yeah, it was just, it was, it was really fun. And then, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, she goes on to get the big audition for this company that traditionally makes horror films, but the kind that go big. And she really wants this part. Only when she gets into the cast, final stage of the casting process, it's an old creepy dude who's like, pretty much I'm going to put my hands on your pussy if you want this part. Uh, when she says no, it's, it's like, okay, what did I do? Did I make a mistake? That may have been my only chance, and decides to go back in, only for the gates of hell to open. Yeah, it gets real dark. (laughs) It gets real dark at that point, and it becomes one of those sort of pseudo-Italian nightmare imagery type movies. Like, it's not about straight logic, but it's not so... Uh, ephemeral that you can't, or ethereal that you can't follow it. Yes. Like, it's a very simple story, but they present it in a way that's very, uh, just, just kind of visually complex and really interesting to watch and has a lot of, of an 80s vibe to it, especially in the music. Yes. That, oh my God, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, in a big way, which I loved. Oh, hell, look at the poster that's right here on Wikipedia. That how, Tell me that doesn't look like an 80s poster. Uh, yeah, it looks like an 80s VHS uh, c- cover. Yeah, it looks like. absolutely. The thing is, is that this film, the first half of it, maybe even three quarters of it, feels like more of a psych- psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. The last third of this is... A nasty, gooey, gory, oh my god, I can't look, yeah. horror film that Absolutely. Will really unseat you. Yeah, it's not often in horror films that I have this reaction. Oh, fuck, dude. Yes. But I had that reaction a couple times that last third. A couple times. I was like, oh, oh, why? Really well done. Really creepy. Like I said, despite the fact that it's so on the nose, in this particular case, it works for it. I'm a big fan of this film, and I will definitely be doing my best to try and, like, spread its gospel to other horror fans out there. And I I think what makes it work so well is it more specifically than just what Hollywood does to people – this is about what Hollywood does to actresses. Yes. Like, this is, especially, like, the whole idea of giving up your body, like, the casting couch and what that represents. Yes. That's what the entire ending of this movie is all about, oh, what yeah. it's building toward. And, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a really brilliant horror representation of, of that idea. And I will go so far as to call this my pick of the week. I was totally going to do the same. Starry eyes it is. You stole my idea. Yeah. You son of a I bitch. smashed your head open, and then as it was like all gooey all over the couch, I picked through it, fed some to Monkey, I took that idea, and went, this is mine now. Wow, we should make a movie out of that. We should make a movie that's, out of that. That's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Digital Boys. What? I don't know. Sounds that sounds like, like the gay porn version. Yeah, it actually does. Uh, this has commentary, the writer-directors, and the producer, uh, 11 and a half minutes of deleted scenes. Hey, Travis Stevens is on the commentary. That's awesome. Indeed. Music video from Jonathan Snipes, the film's composer, the audition video for the main actress, Alex Esso, which is totally appropriate considering there's some very big, very kind of uncomfortable audition scenes in this behind the scenes photo gallery and trailers. Yeah, I'm just looking at, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at Travis Stevens' catalog to give him another shout out. And it's like Jodorowsky's Dune, Cheap Thrills, The Aggression Scale, like. The guy's behind a lot of good movies. Horrible Way to Die, really cool stuff. Definitely pick this up. It's our unanimous pick of the week! And we're going to move on now to uh, a movie called Exists that I actually was on set for 
but it was so long ago that I kind of forgot about it. How long ago did they make this? Oh, it's it's been uh, it's been a couple of years. Because this was like, was this last year's South by or the year before? It, it took a while from production to actually being, you know, at least passed around in the festival circuit. Because I remember it was a few summers ago that, that we they actually did this because it was filmed here in town out at Spiderwood Studios. So I was kind of surprised that this is only getting a DVD release because it was very highly thought of. By everybody who saw this film. Yeah, no, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, Which I don't will make it the only Bigfoot film I've ever seen that I actually liked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is way better than Willow Creek. Well, no, no, wait a minute, hold on. I got to count the made-for-TV movie with the Six Million Dollar Man versus Sasquatch. That was pretty good. Is that a thing that That's, exists? Yeah, that is a thing that exists. Why are we not? Why are we still recording when that exists and I haven't watched? it I yet? actually had the action figure of Bionic Bigfoot. When what I was the a kid. fuck, dude? That's a thing that exists. Why don't I own that? I don't know. Now, note for next Christmas. Seriously, I actually Bionic Bigfoot. have that. I have the complete six million dollar man set. We're gonna have to watch that at some point. Fuck yes, we will. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was gonna say Willow Creek. This is not Willow Creek. No, thank it, God for that. I know. Exists is actually by Eduardo Sanchez. Who this is a found footage. Bigfoot movie, much like Willow Creek was, but I'm sorry. You want a found footage horror movie? The guy that directed fucking Blair Witch Project? Right. Yeah, I'm going to trust that guy. Well, I'll go so far as that. I didn't like the Blair Witch Project, but this guy's come a long way since the Blair Witch Project. I mean, he pretty much has had more time than anybody to finesse the technique, and nothing shows that better than Exists, which is one of the best found footage films I've seen in some time. It's a lot of fun. It's about a group of, uh, a group of people who are going out to one of their uncle's cabins and while they're there they're going to shoot they're going to basically become youtube stars by doing extreme sports with gopro cameras and what i like about that concept instantly is that with a gopro it's attached to you yes meaning that in a situation where you're running from something and it looking makes at sense it that the camera is still going you don't there's no way to put it down it's not like you would go hold on a second monster i've got to turn my camera off yeah <laughs> now that being said there are moments in this film that like all found footage you just kind of have to go Okay. Okay. Fine. It's it's not so egregious that it takes you out of it, but there are moments if you think about it for a second, like, wait, whose camera is that? And just be like, shut up. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's still cool. <laughs> well, Don't worry like, about he it. He shows up with like eight GoPros. Yes. Like basically all the characters have a GoPro. There are GoPros set up around this cabin. It's there are all by default a lot of cameras set up. So okay, fine. Uh, but the way it builds, I like that early on they're like, oh, it's Bigfoot. It's Bigfoot in the woods. Oh, fuck, Bigfoot is here. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it doesn't take long at all for them to go, shit, we're trapped in this cabin, Bigfoot is out there, and he's fucking pissed because we accidentally hit his baby with our car. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what are you supposed to do? Like, the beginning scrawl when the movie starts said, generally, Bigfoots are thought Bigfoots. Big feet, Sasquatches, whatever, are thought to be harmless unless you provoke them. I would call that provoking a Bigfoot. Yeah, hitting its kid with the car. Yeah. And what, what I actually, I'm, I want to talk a little bit about, like, uh, when we were on set and Eduardo was talking about this movie, is he's like, I want to actually visit the specific mythos of the skunk ape, which huh. is like the Texas. Apparently, I didn't know this until I went on the set visit, but there isn't just Bigfoot. There is a, a version of Sasquatch in every part of the country, and it takes on different features. Yeah. And in Texas, it's the skunk ape. Yes. So that's, uh, you know, the, like they do like the upside down tree, and they talk about its nest, and like, I did a lot of research on the skunk ape before they made this movie, and I like the fact that the actual uh, Sasquatch is played by Brian Steele. Yeah, who has played so many movie and TV monsters. I mean, admittedly, this poor guy has played a lot of monsters in the stuff the sequels to films that weren't as good as the originals, but there was not a problem with his performance. It yeah. was just, hey, bad luck. Like, he's Harry from Harry and the Hendersons 
in the television show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but here he really is a great, creepy, effective Sasquatch. It's not like where you never get to see him or you only see him in the distance, only blurry. You get to see full-on Sasquatch or Skunk Ape or what have you yeah. in a number of occasions in this film. I mean, yeah. There's a sequence right towards the end that is straight up a uh, honest-to-God facial performance by this guy in the suit that is really really works. It's really effective. And you have to give credit to Brian Steele's uh, performance and his kind of franticness uh, as Sasquatch because you think about the idea of a guy dressed up as Bigfoot running around trying to scare you in the woods and it sounds really silly. Yeah. But he manages to make this thing terrifying. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from there's one scene toward the beginning where like He's outside the cabin and he's just like screaming yes. and howling and it's it's terrifying. It's re- like and you're not it's a vocal performance. You're not even looking at him and it's still just like oh I, I don't want to like stay in the cabin, stay in the cabin. <laughs> and I don't I don't want to you know mislead anyone. This isn't a game changer hard. No, no, no. This no. is it. It's the formula of this sort of thing. It's just so finessed and done so much better than ninety nine percent of the other found footage films out there that you gotta you know take your hat off to it quite totally. frankly there's also audio commentary with the director and writer that take a look at the in- insight into the making of the film there's six deleted scenes um 21 days in the woods behind the scenes of extra exist which is a 30 minute documentary and a 10 minute featurette looking at the creature design called bringing bigfoot bigfoot to life nice i gotta tell one quick story while we were on set uh, they were setting up. It was the the scene where the Bigfoot jumps down onto the camper. Yeah. Uh, so I get to watch him do that like oh, over cool. and over and over again. Uh, but they were like setting up for the next shot, and they're like, uh, "Why don't the producer was like, why don't I take you guys around and show you where we filmed?" And it was out of this place called Spiderwood Studios, which is a former military base. Oh. It's just huge expanses of woods. And so he's like, "Yeah, let me show you some of the places we filmed." We're walking around, walking around. Then he goes, "Oh wait, no, it was hold on, it was over here." And I'm like. Did I just fucking get lost in the woods with the producer of the Blair Witch Project? This is not a good idea. Why did I follow you into the woods? I know better. Is there footage somewhere of you crying into a camera? (laughs) I'm just like, oh, God, why? (laughs) Yeah, no, good times. Really recommend this movie. Yeah, it's better than getting lost in the woods when you were on the set of Predators. but That's true, too. (laughs) That's very true. All right, what's next? What's next? What's next is World for Ransom. Ransom! Ransom, which is different from the Ransom of Red Chief. Yes, it's a little (laughs) different than the Ransom of Red Chief, even though they're both film noirs. That's <laughs> Ransom of Red Chief is a film noir. If you really think about it, no, I know I'm totally. Kidding. Is there anything you know? What I really think is is an allegory for the child slavery trade is the Apple Dumpling Gang. Well, this is done by a huge director for film noir, Robert Aldrich, who did yes. like Kiss Me Deadly, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, uh, and then great films like The Dirty Dozen, The Longest Yard. I mean, he's a major director, and this is his second feature film that he ever directed and he didn't even get credit for it no he did not uncredited for it as it happened work for hire for studios back then was not uncommon Mm -hmm. um it's 1954 and the thing is this is not you can't hold this up as a masterpiece of noir but that being said if you're a big noir fan and you want to seek out every little gem this is one maybe one of those little gems i think it's solid and i think it's uh it's elevated slightly by the fact that it's a robert aldrich movie it's like a lost robert aldrich movie yeah um, the idea here is Mike Callahan. I had to look that up. I was like, wait, is that the name of an actual 
Private Dick? Is that a, like a is that a reoccurring character? It's not, but it should have been, yeah. right? Mike Callahan, the Mike Callahan mysteries, would played have been a good by show. Dan Duryea. is an Irish uh, immigrant and war veteran who's working in Singapore as a private dick. So there you go. Uh, he hooks up with a ex girlfriend who is a popular night uh, nightclub singer. He's still clearly very much in love with her, but trying to play it cool. Yeah. Totally trying to play it cool. Yeah. Uh, she's married now to another dude, uh, Julian March, who is involved in a bunch of shady deals. And she's like, look, my husband's going to get his ass killed. I'm begging you, if you ever cared about me at all, please go help this guy. And things are even worse than they look. There's a nuclear scientist being held uh, for ransom. Uh, apparently, he's one of the only people in the world that knows how to drop turn on the a-bomb he sexually seduces it yeah <laughs> uh there's lots of intrigue there's lots of spy type stuff happening here and i think overall you end up with a pretty fun little sort of spy noiry spy thriller just like i said not one of those all-time unforgettable films but no, for people who love this genre this is one you should seek out it's solid it has some really clunky stuff in it like the scene we're first introduced to the nightclub singer she like comes out of this like Sister, and I don't know what it is, and then she starts dancing, and it has to be some of the worst dancing I have ever seen. Yeah, it's like, not so good. Not not just that it's not sexy, but it, she's just like, what do I? I'll just jump here, and I'll like move over there, and I'm like, you're not dancing, you're just kind of vaguely moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's got Key Luke in it, who of course was on the original Green Hornet, was the original voice of Brack on Space Ghost, and really? uh, was Master Poe in Kung Fu. Jesus. And Mr. Wing in the Gremlins films. I did not know this. Pretty famous Asian actor there. That's been huh. the most people, the only people who know this guy by name are the cast of Mystery Science Theater who bring him up regularly. Wait, <laughs> so he's the, he's the old man that takes care of Gizmo? Yes. Wow, that's awesome. I did not know that. Yep. Uh, this was actually shot in 10 days for $90,000 who had to stop the, the production regularly because Aldrich had jobs to shoot TV commercials so they could pay for the film. <laughs> also, he shot a TV show on that same set. There's a, it was yep. a TV show called, oh uh, gosh, now I'm trying to remember the name of it. But it, it was filming on the same on the same set uh, that they were. So, and he also filmed episodes of that show. So it was kind of like oh, he was double China, uh, uh, China Smith. Yes, China Smith. So he actually did episodes of China Smith at the same time he was filming this movie. So yeah, decent stuff, but nothing to write home about. Agreed. Well, moving on from there, we're going to talk about my old lady. What about what about you, Ryan? I, I thought you were single. I am. <laughs> well, very who, much so. Who are we talking about then? Oh, you know, um, your dog. My old lady. Yeah, uh, that's like a '70s term for wife, right? I, I heard about this in the Pina Colada song. I think it's a biker term for wife. <laughs> My old lady fell off the bike. That's why I can read this. Uh, yeah, this is a film that is marketed to look like a cute little meet cute romantic comedy. And the truth is, that is not what this film is. There's elements of that here, but ultimately we're dealing with a lot darker and more serious film about life, about finding out who you really are, about finding just really disturbing, distressing things about your parents and your past. You've got Kevin Klein, who I did not realize this, but apparently in the industry is referred to uh, by WAGs as uh, Kevin D. Klein because he turns down like almost everything he gets sent. What's a WAG? Wag, uh, somebody who comments blithely on things like us. What's blithe me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Uh, he plays a guy who has gone to France, to Paris, 
to liquidate a apartment that he inherited from his father, who he was not close with at all. It's pretty, pretty much all his father left him. Uh, and he gets there and he finds out this really old lady, 90-year-old woman named Matilda, is living in there, uh, played by the wonderful Maggie Smith. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, what are you doing here? Well, apparently there's this really fucked up French deal called a, a, a viage, which is uh, basically that if you really want to buy somebody's house or apartment or what have you, you make a deal with them that as long as they're alive, you will basically pay them rent. You're paying them to live in this place, but when they li- when they die, you get the place. Huh. And sometimes that really works in your fashion. There's a point in here where uh, Dominique Pignon, who's a great actor, I wish was in this movie more, talks about he bought one, and the guy died six months later. He was like, score! <laughs> <laughs> but here, you've got this woman who is just going on. She has no plans to die anytime soon and really looks like she could live to be like 170. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, fuck. And he doesn't know what to do, including the fact that he's dead broke. He's fucked up everything in his life. I mean, everything. He has nothing. This was his last hope. And now he's got to pay her 2,400 euros a month in addition to not having anything to liquidate here. Does not know what to do. Now, she's sweet enough. And it's like, look, you can stay in the apartment here. It's a pretty big two-floor place. uh, But you've actually got to pay rent as well on top of that to stay here. Jeez, that insult to injury. (laughs) Uh, And to make it worse, her daughter, Chloe, played by Kristen Scott Thomas, shows up and is like, no, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. No, no, (laughs) not talking about this. So he's in a tough position. Uh, He doesn't know what to do. Uh, he finds a way that basically he can sell the the viage to this rich corporate dude who the moment she dies is just going to raise the place and turn it into you know a, a hotel or something like that which uh Chloe in particular finds extremely offensive and there's a lot of negotiating for how to make you know everybody who's in this impossible situation how to make things turn out to make it worse it looks like Chloe's mom, Matilda, was having an affair with Kevin uh, Klein's father, and neither one of them ever got really any real love from their parents. They were both treated very, okay, whatever, just do it, just leave me alone, do what you're going to do. And there's a lot of, like, bringing that pain up. There's a lot of really incredible acting scenes, especially with Kevin Klein and Maggie Smith, as he's descending back into alcoholism and yelling at her going like what the fuck lady you ruined my life (laughs) Uh, and it actually is pretty interesting and this is not the sort of film that ever was going to get a wide theatrical release it's just not that kind of film it's a little art film that has a lot of interesting things to say but ultimately is a little bit on the forgettable side outside of the great performances and uh you know the decent production value it's nothing that's going to stick with you that long afterwards um it does do some of the expected places you are going, okay, you know that this is going to happen at some point of this film, right? And yes, it does do all that. It just doesn't do it with the amount of expected saccharin. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, ultimately, I think this is a pretty good film. It's just, it's the movie that you rent to watch with your fa- your mom. Gotcha. Is what this is. Fair enough. Well, next up, we're going to talk about the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. They were a couple, and then they totally broke up. And then that's the point where we had to start watching this long-ass boring film. Oh, shit. Oh, but don't you worry. There are three versions of it. Well, that's the thing, is the the version that is the theatrical version we got called The Dis- Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby is indeed a 
uh, amalgamum it's of the them two cut. other films. Yeah. It's because there was a him and her, which were released originally as two totally separate films to actually a good deal of acclaim. Yeah. People were like, these are really good. Examining Jessica Chastain on one side and James McAvoy on the other, who after the death of a child they had together, have already since split up and become completely estranged. And he kind of wants to find a way for it to work again. She doesn't. But watching these two films that show very different perspectives on, you know, what actually happened, who's right, who's wrong, what have you, I suppose is interesting. I Even though this set smartly comes with both of those films included with it. Uh, the primary thing here is them, which was widely considered to be not terribly good. Well, my my issue, I guess, with the them cut is that I feel like there are things that are obviously omitted from her, from the her story yeah. that might have justified or explained some of her choices in she the them cut. She makes some awful choices. She comes off much worse yeah. in this. And I, I don't think there was... I think... They, for the most part, take a pretty balanced view, a pretty fair view, both perspectives. But then there's this one point where she makes a decision or she reacts to something, and I'm like, that doesn't seem reasonable. Yeah. And it's like maybe there's something in the her cut. Now I was I didn't get sent a copy of this, so I didn't get a chance to watch you know each individual cut. But I remember seeing the movie in theaters, the them cut, and I was just like, wow, that seems really unreasonable for this character that they've developed. And I'm like, there must be something in the her cut that, or maybe there's not. Uh, that would lend a little bit of uh, of explanation to that. Well, I didn't get a chance to watch them either. They're they're very long films, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, and um, I I may I'm probably going to keep this in because I want to see them. I've heard that the two separate films are actually really good. And Jesus Christ, Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy. I mean, two of the great actors from their generation right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, how can it be that terrible? But, yeah, the them cut doesn't really – it just doesn't – I mean, I guess you got to blame the editor, ultimately. This is an <laughs> editor fault because it really does not work that great. I mean, certainly great performances. There's some really nice moments in this. Um, I there, There's definitely stuff I liked a lot, but by the end I was, like, looking at my watch going, when the fuck is this thing going to be over? Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I, I really liked the relationship between Viola Davis – and Jessica Chastain. Viola Davis is like a professor, uh, and Jessica Chastain is taking classes with her, and they, they form this really interesting friendship. And I think Viola Davis has given some of the most honest dialogue that I've, I've yeah. ever seen for her. Yeah. She's just very, like, very upfront, and, like, there's no bullshit to her at all, and I just, I really like that. And you've got people like uh, William Hurt is in this, Isabel Hubert, Bill Hader, who is quickly moving into more and more dramatic roles and yeah. doing them really well. Like, I didn't see that coming in his career, but he's good at it, so there yeah. you go. Uh, and I always say this guy's name wrong. Siren Hines. I always say Syrian, and that's wrong. So I think it's a Siren. I'm not Siren. sure. Okay. But uh, wonderful, wonderful actor. Catherine Watterson. I mean, it's got a great cast. Like I said, it's not, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's a bad edit of two movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's ultimately the flaw yeah, I here. I think if you're going to rent this and not having seen them separately, I would say watch them separately. Don't bother with the them cut. True story. We're going to move on to Once Upon a Time in Shanghai. Hey, wait a minute. Deja Vu. We kind of talked about this on a previous show. We gave it away. But we didn't really talk much about the movie. So that's what we're going to do right near. Yeah, because you hadn't had a chance to watch it then, and neither had I. And I was like, you know what? I'm reading really good things about this film, and I kind of wanted to actually get a chance to watch this. And sure enough, despite being you know, a largely populist Hong Kong action film... 
Wow, is there some really good action in this movie? There is some good action in this movie. I'm not quite as high on this movie as you are. I, I do agree that there's some good action in it. Uh, but some of the fight scenes still employ that. It, I'm just, and I, I, this is a total bias on my part, I'm just not a big fan of wire work mm. anymore. Like, I think in classic kung fu it works a lot better. But I think as we move more and more past, like, I, I'll be completely honest. Since we're living in a post-raid era, yeah. that just, like, it doesn't do anything for well, me anymore. I, I tend to agree with you, especially if it's not a wushu film, it's not a fantasy, then I'm like, they shouldn't be able to do some of the stuff that you're doing Exactly. Here. You're getting carried away. I mean, like, I look, even then, I look back at Jet Li's film career and I go, he has all these great wushu films, but then his best film is one of the first ones he did with no wire work, Fist of Legend. You're yes. Like, yes. Just fucking fight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, know, I, and I think that it, it's clearly, like, the difference we're talking about, watch Ip Man with, uh, with Donnie Yen yeah. and then watch Ip Man 2. Because those two movies are very different because the second one goes to kind of the sillier gravity's not really an issue type, you right. know, wire work, whereas the first one was just straight up fighting. And I don't think this completely goes off, off. you know, I mean, it's not like walking on trees. It's like not Crouching, crouching tiger, tiger, no, Or something no. like that. But there's points where clearly the wire work was involved. There's points that clearly CG was involved, although I thought it looked really good. I've seen a lot of Hong Kong films that are using the CG throwing weapons, and I'm like, yeah, that looks awful. And here yeah. I was like, yeah, this doesn't look bad at all. And actually, they convincingly gave you the oomph of those things chunking into flesh or wood or stone or what have you. But, I mean, this is one of those, you know, a period piece uh, with a young guy who's traveled from his hometown to Shanghai to try and make it big. And there he forms an unlikely friendship with a gang boss uh, who is also, they're both, of course, incredible martial arts experts, as it were. Wouldn't and you know. become friends because they're the only ones who can't successfully beat each other up. They're at a standstill, basically. I did like that scene. <laughs> Which is, yeah, there's a, from some really funny scenes where they're like... Me and my best friend montages will be like, ha, 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 and then one will just punch the other one yeah. really hard. You're it was like, like, what the fuck? It was like if Bob Hope and Bing Crosby knew Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I wish they had done that movie. I yeah, would like to the, uh, the road to the hospital. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then, of course, everything goes terribly wrong as the, as, as, uh, the hero, Ma, gets decides he's going to, you know, opium trade and everything is screwing up the poor people there and convinces his friend to sort of push that stuff away only to piss off Japan who were the ones who were in basically running Shanghai at that point and the opium dealers and they end up two against the world two with, against the world with a sizable ending sequence of like just these two guys versus everybody in the world martial arts <laughs> fighting that is worth to me the price of this entire film I mean some pretty Im impressively fun martial arts sequences they do some really creative stuff uh, I, I had a lot of fun with this. No, I think I think it's a fun movie. I was, uh, like I said, I don't think it's bad. I just was a little bit underwhelmed. I, I think the action's good. I think the camaraderie between the two of them and incorporating some kind of Jackie Chan-esque fight comedy was a good touch. I, I have a real problem with the look of the movie. Like, I don't understand. There's this weird, not really sepia tone necessarily, but the whole movie kind of looks pewter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, it, it's muddy. Yeah. And I didn't understand. I, I was like, I know that it's supposed to be a period piece, but you're, this is the How era. How does that of, change the air? This is the era <laughs> of Blu-ray. I want to see high quality and bursting colors, and right now everything just looks like something's wrong with my television. Yeah, it's like the period uh, would necessitate costumes and, and sets. 
I don't know how it would change the air around those right. things. Yeah, it's a bad call on that part. But um, Sammo Hung has a small role in here as well and gets to... Lately, we've seen Sammo Hung and stuff. He just doesn't do much. And here, even though it's a smaller role, at least we do get to see him be a badass, albeit, albeit briefly. It's surprising because usually there's nothing small about Sammo Hung. Oh, so. you made a fat joke. I did. Oh, I God. did. I'm a bitch. As a fat guy, <laughs> I've got to say, it was still funny. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, moving on from, uh, you know, period piece Chinese gangsters to the gangsters we're more familiar with in this country. Let's talk about By the Gun. Boy, was this a nice little surprise. Heck yeah, it was. Um, I, you know, I think that Ben, I'm going to, I'm going to express the opinion that Ben Barnes has gotten a bad rap. I mean, yes, he looks like he should be playing the younger brother of Timothy Oilephant and uh, uh, what's the other guy from, uh, 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 Josh Dumel? Uh, no, that's not what I was thinking about. He could be there, too. There's a family of these guys who have that, what is it? They look like they should all be related. <laughs> you just can't tell white people The guy apart. who played Gambit originally. Oh, uh, Taylor Lautner. Yeah. No, no, no. No, Ta- Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch. They all have this thing that you're like, why aren't you in a family film together? <laughs> uh, uh, but he, next to Oilofen, is the best of the bunch. He's just got that something charming about him, and here he's playing the lead, Nick Tortano, who is a young wannabe made man gang guy in uh, modern day. Uh, what was it, Boston? I think it's Boston. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where his area is run by Harvey Keitel. You know, it can't be all bad if Harvey Keitel is going to show up at some point. Well, that's right? the thing is, both Harvey Keitel and Toby Jones are in this, yeah. which is impressive. And then also the guy who you may not recognize his name, Richie Coster. Uh, but he's been in. He was just in Black Hat. He was the uh, the Russian gangster from The Dark Knight. Like this is a guy you recognize from stuff. Okay. And in this, he's got like a really thick. Uh, it, it almost sounds like a New York accent. And the thing is, he's played a Russian gangster, and I think he was like Ukrainian in Black Hat. He's from London, but in this, he's playing a guy who sounds like he's from New York. So he's kind of all over the place. Hell of a resume to yeah, get there, right? Uh, but yeah, overall, really solid cast is telling the story. It's basically a tragedy of this guy who wants to make it, gets ma- turned into a made man early on, only to completely fuck it up <laughs> yeah. by making some terrible, terrible decisions that are based on. You know, things that, that that make sense outside of the context of being a made man. Sure. Uh, mainly sure. due to his best friend, who would, who never would have the opportunity to be made because he's not Italian, for one thing. Yeah. Uh, and his friend going, look, you're, you're doing this all wrong. I mean, his friend literally commits the murder that was his final test to be made into a made man. Yeah. And, and it's like, no, don't worry, man. We won't tell anyone. You did it. Right? Yeah. Uh, and leading to that thing, what's going to happen when this guy actually has to kill someone? Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because I think this movie accomplishes what uh, Andrew Dominic's Killing Them Softly was trying to do. Yes. Which is kind of talk about the financial ins and outs of being a sort of low-level gangster. Mm. Because as soon as he's made, you watch him try and figure out, okay, what are my... Uh, what are my operations going to be? What are my scams? What? Are, how am I going to start making money? And you see him from because in most mafia movies, when we see a character, they already have some kind of racket going on. They yes. already have their rackets established. This is somebody who is literally setting them up, and it's him and his friend, kind of. And it sounds really boring, as the way I'm describing it. But you know, a <laughs> it's lot a of, trade federation, is what it is. It's yeah, it's about <laughs> embargoes, uh, you know, and it, it's it's about uh, making sure that the release of title is secure and no. <laughs> No, it's, you know, but the thing is that those businesses that he's starting from the ground floor involve things like kicking ass and extorting money and yeah. murder and theft. And it's like, 
these are not unexciting cinematic, un- uncinematic things to watch. And we're so. watching him go through these things that he has to accomplish with some really colorful supporting characters. Sure. So really fun to watch on screen people, some of which just don't take him seriously at all, and others, yeah. some of which learn to have take him seriously. And because we see the beginning he's not made, and then he's made very early on, we see basically the same interactions with those people, but from a different perspective. So in other words... He, at the beginning of the movie, deals with uh, the, the character played by uh, Richie Coster that I was just mentioning, and he has to basically kowtow to the guy. And then as soon as he's made, he comes back and he's like, okay, now you owe me money. And you just watch his, his confidence level and the way he interacts with all these people, both before and after he's made, which is a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, this, you really get involved with his character. You really don't want him to fuck up. But... It's a story about watching a guy fucked fuck up, and at the end, it's kind of edge of your seat, exciting. You know yeah. what is going to happen to this guy? Is he going to make it through? Um, I like this movie a lot. It's it's one of the better actual gang films I've seen in some time. Surprised that it was so roundly ignored. Yeah, no, it's really solid. I'd be interested to see uh, what this director, James uh, Motten Motten Motern Motern, I'm going to say because it's easier. Uh, what he does next, because this this felt very, um, re- I don't know, it felt very genuine as far as all the mafia stuff went. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't no. Uh, it w- you know it wasn't really trying to make any broad statements, but it really is just kind of a day in the life or a few days in the life of a a low level made guy. True. And uh, the director, writer, producer, and Ben Barnes are on the commentary track, and there's a couple different deleted scenes. So, overall, like, this is one of those maybe little hidden gem things that are worth seeking out and discovering for yourself. And I thought it was funny, too, the day that we watched this, uh, or the day that I watched this, that night, like, I left right after watching this to go to the theater to see Seventh Son, and it's like, there's fucking Ben Barnes again. Yeah. This guy's following me around. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous after I've, what, what I've seen him do in this movie. Prince Caspian put a tracer on you. I know, right? Well, moving on from there, speaking of people who we wish we could track and find, let's talk about Tricked. Wait, you're looking for prostitutes? No, no, people that are abducted and, and sold into slaves so we can get them back. Well, I don't know if this is so much about them being abducted as it is them... Uh, you know, being tricked into giving up their life as is in order to enter the world of prostitution. It should be pretty evident now that this is one I didn't get a chance to see. Yeah, I, I'm getting I misunderstood that. what this was, that, was about. That's okay. This is really just straight up a documentary about, specifically, more than, more than not, uh, street prostitution in terms of the relationship between Johns, pimps, and hookers, taking any bit of glamour away from, you know, like, oh, prostitutes who just love sex and they do it because they enjoy it type of thing. You know, the the mythos that some people have, like, whatever, it's just financial transactions like any other job. It saps any bit of that out of there and shows mm. you these women interviewing quite a few of the, uh, of women who've been through this and out the other side and what the actual relationship is like between a hooker and their pimp. Not at all pleasant. The manipulation that goes on, the you know, both with drugs, psychological, uh, and what have you, threats... Um, the pimps that are like something out of a 70s movie, and this is documentary, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, but these are guys with the big purple hats with the fringe balls on it and all that shit. You're like, seriously, dude? (laughs) (laughs) So much for a low profile. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And are just the world's biggest dicks. Oh my god. Like, you'd like, they interview some of these guys you think are gonna try and like, talk about it really rationally, but they're like, watching like, you know, 
that was the name of the football player you were talking about before? We Marshawn started? Lynch? Yeah. It was like that guy, like, going, why did everybody need to get the fuck oh, out of no, my way? No, sorry, that was Richard Sherman. Or Richard, yeah. <laughs> going, everybody needs to get the fuck out of my way. I know what I'm doing. I'm the only one who's right. Everybody else is wrong. It's like, yeah, it's like watching that guy. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's funny. When I watched the bonus features on this, there's, like, this one feature on it that... Uh, basically tries to take a look a little bit on the uh, on alternate side of this like like uh generally dominatrixes who do not have pimps and people who work in the industry who are not being run by anyone else at all those people are indeed out there and the extra took a real brief look at that but the rest of the film excises that side of the industry as if there is no such thing this is all there is in fact it all but flat out says that so yes it is very biased but in this day and age of you know really flat out human trafficking um maybe we should be paying more attention to that truth (laughs) you know i mean it's interesting i would have been interested to see the side of the thing in places where it was legal how it's actually handled like amsterdam yeah what happens there are they are being is there still uh, the manipulation all those things but the film is not going for a balanced angle it is Actively trying to get people to contribute money, basically, to the foundation involved to help these women. I mean, that's good in and of itself. I guess I just ultimately would have liked to see, if you're going to make a film about prostitution, make a film about all aspects of the sex trade. Right. Which is not what we're getting here. Something a little more encompassing. Um, It's interesting. There's a thing specifically about prostitution at the Super Bowl, which apparently 10,000 prostitutes were brought to the Miami Super Bowl in 2010. Many of the minors, 133 three underage prostitutes were arrested during the Dallas Super Bowl in 2011. And in fact, did you just see they just put, put out reports about the latest one where it was something they expected. It was like 600,000 <laughs> something like 600,000 sex crimes happened during the Super Bowl this wow. year. It was a ridiculous amount of stuff. I was like, oh, okay, that's just See, I thought I thought the Seahawks were the only ones that got fucked. Oh, Apparently, hey, oh, uh, sports uh, jokes, I did, still don't see what happened there. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is certainly an interesting perspective on it. It's just one-sided. Gotcha. All right. Well, moving on to a slightly less heavy documentary, uh, but one that was pretty outstanding in its own right, is Richard Pryor Omit the Logic. You know, this is a actually pretty good starter for someone who's like, I really don't know that much about Richard Pryor. Strangely, a biography piece is a great introduction to the works of Richard Pryor, as we see little bits of like his brilliant moments from his stand-up. We see the massive effect that he had on culture and on comedy itself. I mean, like, as Richard... Cosby, as Richard Pryor said himself, fuck Bill Cosby. This guy, (laughs) (laughs) huge effect on things. And the tragedy that was Richard Pryor himself is the man just did not know how to say no to almost anything. Yeah. Uh, Desperately addicted to cocaine and then later, much worse, freebasing. Said yes to big projects there was no way he could possibly pull off. Uh, This is a guy who should have been a major film star who should be still with us today, who sadly got kind of fucked by the industry, got kind of fucked by his own addictive nature and need to be loved. Um, and yeah. And then we end up with a, a, a burnt up Richard Pryor yeah. only to try to make a comeback only to have multiple sclerosis take him down. This is a really tragic but very well made documentary. Yeah. And it's weird watching this. I realized that a, Somehow, I don't know how, I have seen some of this footage before. Some of these inner, and it's clear that it wasn't made 
really, really recently because they have interviews from Robin Williams in this, which he, he literally, the ironic thing about this is this documentary is coming out almost right on the one year anniversary of Robin Williams. Oh my death. God, has it already been a year? Yeah, it's crazy, right? Jesus Christ, time is not on my side. No, not at all. And so it was just weird. It's like, I know I've seen, I don't know if part of this was in another documentary or if maybe I just saw it on cable and forgot about it. I don't know, but it was just really bizarre. But one of the things that I, I didn't know much about was the Richard Pryor TV show. Yeah, I, I had heard there was one, never seen anything from it. And there's some, some really cool footage from it here where you're like, damn, that was ballsy for the time it was on. And not only that, but they have footage from stuff that didn't even air. And I'm like, I would love somebody to put out a definitive Richard Pryor show set yeah. that has all the stuff put back you, in that the network would You see him. all the big stars that were appearing on his show, like huge stars appearing on his show. I was like, yeah. God damn, man! Where? Why is? Why is no one ever talking about this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but this is a great documentary. It, it definitely, um, you know, it talks about his talent. It talks about his like the more troubled side of his life. It also talks about just how fiercely uh, he defended, you know, his his vision. Like this is what I want to do. Yeah. This is, you know, all this other comedy is is, you know, I, he's his basically his desire to be innovative. And his the way that he fiercely protected that uh, he was. This is not a puff piece. First no. off, it is totally shows what a difficult man Richard Pryor was. But it makes no mistake of also pointing out the profound effect he had on comedy and everyone around him in his life. Yeah, um, you do. I mean, it's completely a tragedy. At the end, I actually teared up watching the end of this film. Yeah. Uh, he was a true comedic genius, and I. the biggest hope I get from people watching this is that they're going to go and seek out his live stand-up concerts. Absolutely. Which are unfortunately sitting re- unreleased in, I think, the Universal and definitely the Sony vaults right now. It's like, where is the Blu-ray copy of Live on the Sunset Strip? Yeah. Where is that? It's a good question. Yeah. And plus, I wonder how many people know that he was the first choice to play... Sheriff Bart in Blazing Saddles. Yep, he got you know. fucked by the studio. Yeah, it was yep. funny. Like at the time, he was not actually doing drugs. They didn't cast him because they thought, well, that guy's on drugs. We can't trust him. They and had heard he was on drugs. Yeah, and then after finding this out, he started taking drugs. Yeah, <laughs> self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's 34 minutes of additional interviews with like people like Mel Brooks, Whoopi Goldberg, Lily Tomlin, uh, Willie Nelson, Quincy Jones, talking about him with a lot of interesting anecdotes about him. Very much worth watching not included in the film all right well moving on from there we're going to talk about our last title of the show which is also going to be our giveaway are we still going no you won that one okay sorry um it's going to be dracula untold we actually have copies of this to give away do we it's not Dracula. is that dracula untold or dracula unbound dracula untold okay no it's definitely dracula untold because i remember the joke as we were watching that movie is we know his origin. We've been told. There's nothing untold. You know what untold means at this point? Bullshit. <laughs> also, just... previously known as Dracula Year Zero, <laughs> which is which is totally appropriate since that's completely something cribbed from comic books. Yes. The whole Year Zero thing, totally a comic book thing. Yeah. And this is the attempt by the studio to begin a shared universe of universal monsters, something they've been talking about for a while. This was to be their launch title in that. And as such, 
they are doing a lot more to copy what Marvel is doing than they are to have anything to do with Dracula or the history of horror films at all. Still, they're making a more concerted effort to be like Marvel than DC is. That's so true. <laughs> there's at least this that. I like this much better than Man of Steel. I'm going to say it. Wow. <laughs> uh, which isn't to say this is a great film. It's not a great film. It's actually, I'll say it's half of a great film. Yeah. Like, the first half of this movie... I was really into it. I'm like, I think Luke Evans is playing one of his best roles here as we're watching, you know, him still as Vlad Tepes, trying to do the right thing, trying to save his kingdom, trying to keep uh, his son and a bunch of other kids from being taken by the Turks for probably sex slavery, you know. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say. It's insinuated. You will uh, not take my son. Yeah. No son blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Neeson as Dracula. <laughs> See, I would watch that. I would fucking watch that all day. Uh... And then eventually, you know, realizing when all appears lost that he's got to go up to a cave where a monster lives and say, look, I'll do whatever. I just need the power to be able to defeat these guys, which is his superhero origin story, which is very much what we've got here, a superhero origin story. Because this Dracula, although, yes, he kills, isn't any less a superhero morally than Wolverine is. Yeah, they do some interesting backflips to make this character, which is traditional. Like, if you've read... If you've read Dracula, if you've seen uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, I mean, the, the connection between Dracula, Vlad the Impaler, they touch on that, and they go through it, they go to extremes to be like, but he's a good guy. No, no, trust me, he's, like, he, he only impales people to protect his family. And I'm like, oh. Um. That's a difficult part where you're like, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, okay, I get that you have to kill some dudes as a king of a kingdom, people are warring and all, but you lost me at the slowly impaling them and leaving them around as decorations part. That's Look, the part it's because lost. he loves his kids. That's why he kills kids. So that's, I'm just it, like, um... At that time in, in uh, Transylvania, it was cons- that's what they did for Christmas. Right. They, <laughs> it was the people trees. Trim the trees and kill the children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, I, th- this is not the first attempt to be made to make Dracula completely into a good guy. Yeah. There's a lot of writers who have done this to be sure, Fred Saberhagen being a big one who made Dracula into a protagonist of a whole series of books where Dracula and Sherlock Holmes team up and solve crimes together. Sounds stupid, and it is stupid, but there's so much fun to read. Uh, <laughs> I actually would watch that as a movie. If right? You got, if you got the right like buddy cop kind there's, of There's a point chemistry. of ridiculousness that no, you no longer judge it as being ridiculous because you just go into it going, okay, this is silly, but let's see if they can make it work. I'm going to sound like a broken record. You know who I think would direct that movie really well? Lord and Miller. Oh, there you go. I would watch that. They would take that challenge. Gothic 21 Jump Street? Fuck yeah. You hear that, Lord Miller? We are throwing the gauntlet down. Do it. (laughs) Do I dare you. I double dog dare you. This is the thing about this movie, though. I think that if you go into it not really expecting a a Dracula or horror-type film so much as you are expecting a sort of Blade-type superhero film, that it's a lot more enjoyable. Oh, I'm sure, I, yeah. I actually had a lot of fun with this movie. I really enjoyed the battle scenes that has him sort of spontaneously turning into groups of bats to, like, jump around and just kick the shit out of, like, hundreds of people on the battlefield. I liked that. I had fun with it. I don't think this is what you would call a great film, but it's a it's a minor superhero film that has its share of fun. That if they are indeed going to build on this and continue to build this universe, I hope the next one has a, a little bit more finesse to it. 
at least a little bit of play by your own damn rules. That was my that was my biggest problem in this movie. Like, I agree with you. It's enjoyable. It's it's very silly fun. My only thing is like I just have this pet peeve that it like I don't care what type of movie it is, you lay down the rules, I will play by them, but you have to as well. But yeah, don't bend your own rules. Uh Dominic Cooper uh, Tony Stark's dad plays the bad guy here in a scenery scenery chewing best. I think the thing I like the least about this film though is that you ask yourself at one point, how is this guy even vaguely ever going to be a threat? <laughs> I mean, compared to what we see Dracula can do, you're like, dude, you're fucked. It's like, oh, you have an army? Homeboy's Dracula. So... Yeah, not, he's like super amped up, cracked out Dracula. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, seriously. Cracula. Yeah, he is totally Cracula. <laughs> Cracula. Now there's a movie. <laughs> Cracula. Starring old. Dave Chappelle. <laughs> because you can't hear him because he's talking too fast. Anyway, I was trans- a long time ago. Don't worry about it. You got some blood. Uh, this audio commentary by director and the production designer, which I thought was pretty damn good, actually. Uh, Luke Evans creating a legend. There's a title you'll never hear again. <laughs> 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 a 20-minute feature right on that. A two-minute alternate opening. That's pretty fun. 13 minutes of deleted scenes. A day in the life. Luke Evans uh, just following him around on the set. Uh, Dracula retold. An overview of the history uh, that's shown in the movie. Slang 1000. A look at the development and execution of the first big battle in the scene, which is pretty goddamn cool. Uh, and then uh, the land of Dracula, which is like an interactive map of the areas in the movie. I actually, like I said, I think this is more fun than it's not. But you guys be the judge. And you know how you can be the judge? How can you be the judge? You can... By watching the judge? N- n- definitely not. No, no, no. That no. is not accepted at any court in the land as, as credentials. How many how many copies do we have of this to give away? We have one copy. Of we this have one Blu-ray copy? One Blu-ray copy awesome. to give away. Okay. So here's how you're going to win. You're going to follow us on Twitter, at one of us net, do and, it. and then you're going to tweet at us with the name and brief plot synopsis of your Dracula movie. Come up with... Uh, it could be a silly Dracula movie. It could be something you think would be a legitimately cool Dracula movie. Just with, pitch us a Dracula movie. With 140 characters, I think it's going to be silly. It's I'm probably going to be silly, and that's fine. But if somebody comes up with a really good idea that, that isn't funny, we might pick that one, too. We'll pick our favorite, and that person will win. Open to U.S. residents. Only sorry about that. Damn, you're such a bastard. I am a bastard. You're just a mean, mean guy. I am a mean guy. Well, before we go, let's at least answer one quick question yeah. from the... You've got mail. The letterbox. Yes, thank you, Torgo. Yes, just the one. I'm not going to reach in. Just hand it to me. You're not going to pretty woman me again, Torgo. God damn it. Ow. Fuck. You got me again. Yeah, Torgo has a lot in common with that guy from Pretty Woman. Well, he thinks he's Julia Roberts as part of the problem. <laughs> oh, um, I see. Julia Roberts, all right. Uh, not we have, a Richard Gere? No, he, he just wants to be Julia Roberts. I thought it was just he kept trying to climb inside your butthole. <laughs> hey, oh, that's a thing. Um, <laughs> it's an urban legend, yes. probably. Allegedly, that happened. Uh, so, Neil Kelly asks us, what is the story about behind, speaking of Dracula Untold and origin stories... And behinds. And behinds. Uh, what is the story behind how Chris and Brian met Richard? Um... I am going to say tell the story, and I don't know how great it is that I'm saying all the things oh, here on mic, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Oh, shit. Um, I, Richard is one of those weird people that I, we were both baffled when we eventually met that we didn't know each other already. We're like, wow, we know all the same people, and we go to all the same things. It's kind of like Bo and I were the same way. We're like, how did we not know each other years ago? But uh, I 
first met Richard's wife, who was not his wife at the time. She hadn't even, uh, I think she had just met him. I met her mm. at Fantastic Fest years ago with one of those random seating things where you sit next to her and you're like, hey, I have a conversation because sometimes you're in the theater really early before the film starts. Right. Uh, and we hit it off great and we're just talking and laughing and having a good time. And I was like, you know, asked basically for her email address. And I think after it was all over, I was like, hey, would you like to go out sometime? Because I thought she was cute. thought she was good looking. And she's like, I'm, I, you know, honestly, thought you were really nice, but I just met someone. We're just starting a date, which uh. turned out to be Richard. So I didn't meet Richard until long after that. I saw her like a year and a half later at, uh, the, Tim, at the Tim League's house at the Christmas party. And uh-huh. I was like, hey, what's the deal? You didn't even acknowledge me. I thought we were friends. And, and she was like, I honestly haven't seen you in so long. I didn't even recognize you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and to her credit, I regularly change my hairstyle, my facial hair, what have you. I just based on a whim of the moment, shave my head or grow it long or what have you. Yes, yeah, you're very high maintenance. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, but she was there with Richard. And I think it was kind of he was really, really embarrassed. I'm not entirely sure how much of that he even caught. But then afterwards, I emailed her and said, I'm sorry. I'd had a few drinks. I shouldn't even said anything. Uh I, then shortly after that, I, I actually saw Richard again. I was like, oh, hey, yeah, I was friends with your, your wife. And we just started talking. And the next thing you know, it was like one of those like, Jesus Christ, we have everything in common. Hey, man, do you want to come on on one of our shows sometime? He's like, sure, I'd like to. I still can't believe that he does anything with this. This is a guy who has won Best Journalist in Austin three times running. He pretty much writes the Austin Chronicle. The yeah. joke at the Chronicle is it should have a byline just says, by Richard Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, he, did you know he has written more stories for the Austin Chronicle than anyone who has ever worked there? Yeah. That includes people who still work there, who've been writing since it started. Yeah. He's written more stories than them. No, he's a beast. <laughs> he is. Uh, we are grateful to have him on our team. Very grateful. I actually met him the day we launched one of us. Because uh, he came up to... I didn't know he was there. It was at RTX. I didn't know someone from the Chronicle was in the audience yeah. at all. Uh, we just we did our fun game show, and then we had our, our launch video. And he came up, and he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Do you guys want to do an interview? And I was like, Yes! Awesome! <laughs> and I was like, What? We... We didn't realize that we were having a press conference. We thought we were just, you know, telling people who were in the room. And, uh, yeah, and we, we've kind of been friends ever since. But, yeah, no, that was uh, that was my story. It didn't involve hitting on the woman who would eventually become his wife. Yeah, but awkward. A little bit awkward. It's funny. We're all great friends now. I got invited to their house for Christmas dinner, even. She's wonderful. And that, that whole situation, it never went to, like, anything creepy or anything like that. Yes, no, you've 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 made that clear, just it's, in case. It's just still... Comma officer. Just yeah. still a little weird sometimes. You're like, okay, I'm sorry that ever happened. <laughs> Shit happens, man. Well, we're going to go ahead and close the letterbox for this week and wrap up the show. I want to remind you once again that you can follow us on Twitter at uh, DigiNoiseCast. That's D-I-G-I NoiseCast. You can also follow one of us at one of us net, and you can like the, web, uh, the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash... One of us, Ned. Or you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Guy Salisbury. I'm at Chris Cox Critic. Make sure to use those Amazon links. If you haven't already become a subscriber, you really ought to do that. Lots of cool stuff that we do for you for the uh, for the subscribers because we want to we want to say how much we appreciate them for helping us keep the lights on. I say as it's getting oddly dark in here. <laughs> Sorry, that happens when um, you know darkness falls. Well, I think we should get out of here quickly. Um, Will you tilt your head a little bit more to the side? Nope, nope, nope. This little pulse thing on your neck I kind of like there. No release is too big. No release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. Tasty, tasty Brian. No!